Amen. So wonderful to have different ways to, to worship, to build up, and to give. And really, that's part of who we are here at Imago Church. Um, in case we haven't met yet, my name is Carlos Coro. I'm the pastor here of Imago. And really, God formed Imago Church for uh, the reason to that together we could uh, remind each other that our identity is in the image of God and our purpose is in the image of Christ. That's what Imago means. It's that we are created in the image of God. And so, um, again, especially if this is your first time here, we want to give you a, a very special welcome and ask you to fill out a, a welcome card immediately after service. Um, and I'm just really excited today because it's a, it's a rare opportunity to be able to, um, to simply receive as the pastor and as the preacher here at Imago. And um, I'm, I'm just grateful because uh, in the scriptures, it really reminds us to not do life alone, but to do life together. And even in the New Testament, it gives us over 91 another proclamations and reminders to love one another, to bless one another, to carry one another. And I'm so grateful that even as a pastor and a minister, I have other brothers in Christ that can sometimes carry me when I need to be carried. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to welcome Pastor Ryan Hall with us this morning. And he's going to continue in our series on the book of Philippians that we're calling A New Way to Be Human. And we've been learning that that's what Jesus invites us into, to let go of our old ways and enter into this new way, this new freedom that he is calling us to. And last week we talked about um, imitating Christ's humility, and we're going to continue in that journey of this new way to be human. So friends, brothers, sisters, would you join me this morning in giving a big Imago welcome to Pastor Ryan Hall. Let's go ahead and welcome him this morning. So it's uh, already a great morning to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, really. It's, it's an honor to be able to be here with you all. Uh, I want to start by hopefully fixing this. We good? Cool. I want to start with the word this morning from the book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. I invite you to listen closely, to listen well. The words will also be on the screen. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a joy and a gift it is to be able to gather here in your house. I pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts to what you might have to speak to us this morning, to what you might have to say to us, to how you might be challenging us, or to how you might be comforting us. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We thank you for Pastor Carlos, for his leadership of this church, for you equipping him to be able to begin and lead this church. And I pray, Lord, for this church. I pray that this church, that this body would be a light on a hill, that this body would be the hands and feet of Jesus here in Visalia and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, my name is Ryan. I'm a pastor at Tulare Community Church, all the way 15 minutes down the road in Tulare, California. And it is a true joy and an honor to be here, really. Uh, I haven't been at Tulare Community Church for very long, a little over a year. But I do know that our church and Imago Church have a wonderful relationship. We have a run wonderful relationship with Sunrise, Amanasere, and Tulare as well. And before we jump in to this passage, before we jump into the scripture, I want to let you all in on a little secret. You are in very good hands. I don't know Pastor Carlos extremely well, but he and I have had the opportunity, the privilege to be able to sit down and talk and be in fellowship on multiple occasions. And what I can tell you that I know about him is that he loves the gospel and he loves you. He loves you deeply. He loves you dearly. And he works tirelessly to serve and lead you to Christ. You're in good hands. That is the secret that isn't really a secret at all. So our time together is in this book, uh, in chapter 2, verses 12 to 18 of the book of Philippians. And I want to summarize, I want to bring together our time with these words. Your fear and trembling are not in vain. Your fear and trembling are not in vain. I want to get to what that means in a little while. We'll return to that. But I first want to tell you all a story, if that's okay. Uh, it's a story that you might be familiar with. It's a very old story. It's a good story, and it's, it's also a, a troubling story on many levels. If you've heard this story, please don't blurt it out. And if you haven't, or if you have, I invite you to listen closely and to listen well to this story and what it might be saying to you here this morning. There once was a man. He left his homeland. He, he left everybody that he knew. He left his family. He left his friends. And he was sent, he traveled to a new place. And along the way, he became a prominent guy. He became rather wealthy. He developed somewhat of a, of a clan of people around him. But late in his life, he still found that he and his wife weren't able to conceive. They weren't able to have a child. And they desperately, desperately wanted one. And then one day, he learned that even in his late age, his wife had become pregnant. And he thanked his God, the God that he worshipped, 
for allowing him and his wife to conceive of this child. And this child that was born ended up being a son. And this man adored his son. This was the bone of his bone, the flesh of his flesh. He loved this boy. He loved this boy so much that he threw a massive party, a festival, for everybody that he knew to come and celebrate this boy's life. And what God had done, the God that he worshipped, that God had done in bringing this child to him and to his wife. Oh, how beautiful. And then one day, the very same God that he had thanked for bringing him this child spoke to this man and he said to the man said these words take your son your only son whom you love and sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you silence the next day this man he wakes up gets two of the servants, two of the people who worked for him, and his son. And he tells his son, he tells his servants that they're going to go on a three days journey. So they set out. They begin their journey. The day goes by. Silence. Second day goes by. Silence. On the third day, the mountain that they are traveling to, it, it appears in the foreground. And he tells the two men that are traveling with him, that work for him, you stay here. The boy and I are going to go to the mountain to worship, and we will return. So he gets wood, he gets a knife, and he and his son, they set out. As they're traveling, the boy says, Father, yes, my son, comes the reply. He says, we've got the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? The man responded, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. build an altar, they set out the wood, and then without speaking, the man, listening to what God had told him to do, listening in faith to the command that he had been given, he takes his son, the son that he loves, his only son, and he binds him to the altar. We can imagine that the boy, he's referred to as a boy in the story, is absolutely confused, is crying, is crying out, why on earth are you tying me up? Broken trust, right? Without speaking, the man reaches back and he grabs the knife. Faith, faith is a fickle thing. It's a strange thing. It's a deeply, deeply challenging thing. And no matter where we all are on our journey of life, whether we consider ourselves to be Christians or not, whether we consider God to be real or not, 
what we believe about the world and how it's ordered and our place within that order, that is a lifelong wrestling. And it's a wrestling that we all endure no matter what. That is part of being human. And if you're here this morning and you're wrestling with faith, you're asking questions after two of the most difficult years in memory, when we have lost so many people, when our lives have been disrupted as they have been, and you're asking, well, God, how could you allow such a thing to happen? If you're wrestling with that question, that's normal. That's part of being human. I, I'm glad you're here. I know Pastor Carlos is glad that you are here. But what our passage in Scripture in the Bible has to tell us today is that in the midst of all of that wrestling, there is a new way to be human. There's a new way to reconcile with that wrestling. I don't know if I get any bonus points for throwing the uh, sermon series title in the sermon itself, but thank you. The book of Philippians, as uh, Pastor Carlos began last week, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the Roman colony of Philippi. Uh, as Pastor Carlos highlighted last week, this book, it's all about joy, it's about thanksgiving, it's about endurance, it's, it's good stuff. Right? There's a lot about love. It's, it's awesome. It's an awesome book. And we're going to continue with that theme here today, but you really wouldn't know it based on how it, uh, our passage begins in verse 12. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, that doesn't sound very joyful at all, right? It's kind of hard to give thanks when we're in the midst of fear and trembling. And not only that, but in the very same sentence, right? This isn't even an, the next sentence. In verse 13, there's just a comma, and it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So what Paul is beginning this passage saying is that it is up to you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who works in you for his will to fulfill his good purpose. And not only that, but then in verse 14, we're told that we're supposed to figure out what that means without complaining about the process at all. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I want to spend the majority of our time in, in these three verses because there are entire books, entire series of books written on that phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a confusing phrase. I want to dive into what that means. But I want to break it into chunks. I want to break it into chunks because it can seem overwhelming and I get that. So one of my favorite uh, phrases is how do you eat an elephant? Well, you shouldn't eat an elephant, right? They're in danger. That, that's horrible. But no, you eat elephants one bite at a time. Exactly. 
first bite. What does Paul and the Christian faith in general mean when he's talking about this thing, salvation? Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life and you've heard that word, you've heard that phrase, and it can be thrown around as kind of a Christianese thing, salvation, right? What does that actually mean? Well, in its simplest form, what salvation means is a relationship with God. It means an eternity with Him. That's what salvation means. And we could ask the question, well, why would we even want that? I'm kind of good just being by myself. I'm good just being me, right? Why would I want an eternity with God who I can't necessarily see? Why would I want that, right? Because what Christians believe is that God is the source of all that is good, is the source of love, is the source of justice, is the source of all goodness. And that he sustains that love, he sustains that justice and that goodness, and he alone can hold that together. Okay, that's fine for now, but salvation also implies, salvation means to save. Right? So what do I need saving from? If you're telling me that I need to, uh, I want salvation, what do I need to be saved from? Sin. What we need to be saved from is sin. The sin in our own hearts, the sin in the world around us. That sin that stems from us as human beings taking every opportunity that we've ever had to turn our backs on the God who gave us so many chances to not live by ourselves, to not live as the center of our own universe, but to live with him as the center of our universe, to live with him as the central point of our lives. Okay, so what, God snaps his fingers and, and all is well? No, no, thank goodness, no, because God is the God of justice, right? The God of the Bible is the God of justice. And so if we have what we refer to as a debt of sin, if you, if any of us owe money and we have to pay that money back, it isn't just forgiven, right? No, it, if we're not able to pay it back ourselves, then it increases. It increases every single day. That bill gets larger and larger. And if you've ever been in that situation where you have debt and it's growing it's terrifying right it is horrifying it can be all consuming that is the way that sin works in our lives and because god is just he's not just gonna forgive it for nothing that wouldn't be right if we've rebelled against him that means that we owe him something and that something has to happen he wouldn't be just if he just said, no, it's fine, you're good. He wouldn't be who he says he is. Okay, well, then how can we be saved if we have this debt of sin that, that holds us down and we aren't the ones who can save ourselves? We're saved by believing. And believing that God 
was willing to do whatever it took to bridge the gap that existed between us and him. That believing that God recognized that we couldn't bridge that gap on our own, so he acted. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live, to breathe, to work, to interact with people, and that his son, Jesus Christ, was arrested, was tortured, with nails in his hands and feet, nailed to a cross, and that his son, Jesus Christ, died for us. The debt had to be paid. It would not be forgiven on its own. God knew that. God is just, and so he acted. And when Jesus died as a perfect person, as a person who lived without sin, the only person in the history of the world who lived such a life, All of that sin was washed away. He paid the debt in our place. Why would God do that? Why would he allow such a thing to happen to the person most precious to him? Because he loves us. And he was willing to do whatever it took to be in relationship with us, to have to give us eternal life with him. He loves us so much that he was willing to set his own son to die in our place. And so salvation is believing in Jesus. Salvation is believing in what he has done for us. In other words, salvation is faith, okay? Salvation is faith. And so what Paul is telling us to do in our passage is to work out our faith with fear and trembling. He is telling us to wrestle with what we believe about the world with fear, with trembling. We didn't deserve what Jesus did for us. We certainly didn't earn it, but God loves us. And Jesus paid the ultimate price on our That is the gospel. That is the gospel. And it is such overwhelmingly good news. Get this. It is such overwhelmingly good news that it's scary. It is so good. It is so mind-bogglingly counterintuitive that it can leave us shaken. Work out your salvation There's this book, it's called The Great Divorce, it's my favorite book, it's by a guy named C.S. Lewis who was a British writer in the 20th century, and it's his depiction of heaven and hell. He doesn't claim that this is actually necessarily what he believes heaven and hell would look like, but it's an allegory. He's trying to, to paint a picture about life itself. And in his story, the people who are there are sort of like ghosts in a way. They're kind of transparent. You can see through them. They're kind of floating through the world. They're lost, okay? In one instance, 
one of these ghosts who's trying to figure out what is going on comes across an angel. And they have an interesting interaction. And the ghost has this little red lizard on his shoulder. It's a little red lizard, and it's whispering into his ear. And this is is how the exchange goes. Bear with me here. This is British English in a way. So this is how the exchange goes. This is how the conversation goes. Off so soon, said a voice. There it is. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and my body too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, here he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here. I realize that, but he won't stop. I shall just have to go home. Would you like to make him quiet? said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. Well, of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, uh, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Well, don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill him? They go on like this for a while. And what we learn is that that lizard is lust. It's a dark thing. It's it's whispering in this man's ear, holding him captive. And the angel is offering, I will kill the lizard and you will be free of its whispering. You will be free of its darkness. You will be free of its evil. But the man is terrified of what he doesn't know. See, if our entire lives we have lived without seeing the light, then when the light finally comes, it's so bright that we'd rather keep our eyes closed. So he doesn't want this thing killed because he doesn't know what life will be like if life is good. That is exactly what Paul is telling us. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to tremble and to shake. That is part of being human. That's a normal reaction. Don't be surprised when you're afraid of stepping into the light. But listen to what else Paul has to say in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, spoiler alert, the angel does kill that red lizard because the man couldn't kill it himself. The man couldn't achieve goodness and light and holiness himself. He needed somebody else to do it for him. And that is exactly what Paul is telling us God will do for us. We're the ones who are walking in faith, fearful and trembling, and that's okay because it's not ultimately on our shoulders. God will do it for us because that is his will and that is his good purpose. 
God's grace, we are saved. By God's grace, we have life. This is a, a word that I have in a little sticky note on my uh, desk in my office. It's written by Michelle Clifton Soderstrom. She said it this way. Faith is the virtue whereby, paradoxically, we excel in our dependence upon God. We excel in our dependence upon God. We are successful when we are reliant upon And as we close, uh, I want to finish our story about the father and son. Maybe you you remember we left a kind of a cliffhanger. It's in Genesis 22, verses 10 to 14. This is how it ends. The man says, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Uh, Pastor Carlos and I were texting back and forth about this passage because there's a guy named Soren Kierkegaard. I'm throwing a lot of names at you. I'm sorry. But he was a Danish philosopher from like hundreds of years ago. And he called Abraham the father of faith for this very reason. That he was willing to do the unimaginable, sacrificing his own son as an outpouring of faith. If you are wrestling with faith here today, believe me when I say that I guarantee Abraham spent that three-day journey sleepless, trembling, afraid to his very core of what he was being called to do. I guarantee that Abraham, who is known as the father of faith, experienced that faith, worked out his own faith with fear and trembling. And so if you are wrestling, wrestle, wrestle with your faith, work out your faith with fear and trembling. If it seems too scary, if it seems too bright, that is okay. God did not allow Abraham to follow through on sacrificing his own son. But that's exactly what God was willing to do for us. Mago, fear and trembling are not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a challenging word for us this morning. What a challenging word in in a context of joy and thanksgiving 
at first glance to, to hear this word, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, seems anything but joyful. And then we see this verse 13, we, we see that it is actually 